This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. All right, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of 1 John. 1 John. And we're going to be walking through this thing the next uh, couple of months. And um, before I dive in, you know, I think sometimes, um, I don't know about you guys, but I catch myself doing things that don't make any sense. Is that just me or is that anybody else in here? Like you do some things and then you look back and you're like, why? Like that, that did not complete the purpose. That did not um, complete any, like my reasoning was way way off. And I think sometimes we do that. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples about this. And I think for some of you guys, uh, you might fall into this category. The other day I went grocery shopping. I was just sharing with Gavino. Like I went grocery shopping and I didn't have a list. So like you go through like every aisle. Like I think I need that. I think I need that. You know, I probably have like five of them at home. Um, So I spent all this money grocery shopping and then I get home and we unpack. So our fridge is full. Our cabinet is full. We got all this stuff. I look at Rach. I was like, hey, Rach, what do you want for dinner? She's like, Wingstop. <laughs> I was like, I just spent like 150 bucks. That's a lot of money for us, like for food. And she's like, oh, I just want some wings. And I was like, I'm not going to let you eat that by yourself. Give me something. Right? So, give me the eight piece with that corn. Yes, right. The corn is so underrated. I'm telling you. Um, you spend all this money on food and go buy food. It makes no sense. Same thing, like, it's like, man, I'm going to cancel cable so that way we can save money. And what do we do instead? Subscriptions. And you end up paying the same amount of money at, with subscriptions as you do that you had cable. So you need, like, your Netflix. You need not just YouTube. You got to get the premium YouTube. I'm tired of commercials, right? Yeah, you need the Spotify, the HBO Max, the Disney Plus, like, The Hulu, because there's only one show I want to watch on Hulu, so I got to get it. The Paramount Network, so I could watch Yellowstone. All that stuff. And we end up spending all this money because we're trying to save money. So here's just a couple other ones. Like, I'm trying to lose weight, so I go work out, but then I go refuel at CC's afterward. Because I believe that I deserved it. I worked hard. I don't know how calories work, but hey. Uh, (laughs) And then you got... Um, going to get, so like, we're like, I'm tired of spending so much time on my phone. So I eliminate all my social media and and get rid of all the apps. But then what do I replace them with? Video game apps. So you actually spend as much time on your phone playing games as you did searching something else. You just replaced it with something else. Just doesn't make sense. The last couple things, you know, I'm going to drive 20 minutes to the gym to walk for 15 Like, why are you driving to the gym just to go walk? I'm just saying, that's just me. And then the last one is, I'm going to become vegetarian to be healthier, but I'm going to eat anything else except meat. Because meat's not healthy, but I can eat donuts, ice cream, Dr. Pepper, (laughs) candy, uh, you know. But if you eat meat, that's not, I'm like, that's not how it works, bro. Um, So, (laughs) you feel that? (laughs) You're like, man, we call me out. 
You know, so our, sometimes our reasoning doesn't line up with the goals that we set or what we're trying to accomplish. We try to kind of justify some things. And what we're going to look at here with 1 John is that he wrote the book, John wrote the book of 1 John to, there's some hearsay going around in the culture. And he's pretty much writing this to a group that believes in Gnosticism. Um, so go ahead and put that word up there. It's, it's kind of a... It's kind of a funky word. So at the turn of the century, the book of 1 John was written between 90 and 95 A.D. And the Greco-Roman world was changing. And uh, pretty much Gnosticism was a mix of various like pagan religions and Judaism and quasi-Christian systems. And it was being mixed in with this philosophy that was coming from Greece, this Greek philosophy. A lot of it was with Plato. As well, so they're they're mixing all this stuff together, and it was infiltrating not just the culture, but it was also infiltrating the church. So, what's Gnosticism? Like, what what does that even mean? So, what they believe or what they taught was that any matter was inherently evil, anything physical was evil, but everything spiritual was good. And y'all looking at me like Ricky, that's kind of weird. But hold on, like it's going to make sense here on why. So. So these teachers are like, anything that's spiritual is good, but anything that's physical and material is evil, it's bad. So how in the world can Jesus be 100% man and 100% God? There, there's no way that's possible if the material is evil and the spiritual is good. So these folks were accepting Jesus as deity, but they were denying Jesus as 100% man. And this was infiltrating the culture. It was, it was getting everywhere. They were accepting his deity. They were denying his humanity. And John is here to tell them, you guys are way off. Your reasoning is wrong. Y'all are trying to lose weight and go to CC's. It's not working. It's not working at all. So what happens is they fall into one of two camps when it comes to the belief of Jesus. These are like Gnostics. So number one is that they believe that Jesus, his body, his physical body was not real. They believe that like it might have just appeared like as, a, as some kind of spirit. Like people just kind of saw this Jesus walking around. It just appeared to be so. And then the second camp that they fall in is that they taught that the spirit of God came onto, on the man of Jesus during the, his baptism and then went back to heaven. The spirit went back to heaven as he's about to get crucified, dividing the humanity of Christ and his deity. So with Gnostics, a lot of this, um, this psychological dualism that's going through their mind, it actually caused this indifference in the way that they saw moralism and the way that they treated other people in their ethical behavior. Because for them, the body was just some kind of prison for the spirit. So what that does is that it separates the effects of sin versus what they truly believe. Sin committed in the body had no connection with what's happening with their spirit. They viewed themselves as this spiritually enlightened group and if you were not spiritually enlightened, then there was something wrong with you, which that kind of caused them to be arrogant, unholy, and not loving at all. So you had this group, this, this worldview that's coming in, 
and it's starting to penetrate the church. And I just want to say before we start throwing our religious rocks and kind of calling them out, I'm like, man, Ricky, that's so stupid. How in the world can you believe that? Think about what their beliefs are. Gnostics. So the spiritual is separated from the physical. But I want us, we do this all the time. How many of us like glorify God with our voice, but at the same time support something that's unbiblical with their same voice? Right? Like we live one way, but then with another group of friends, we live another way. Right? Like so our lives are siloed in society because I'm going to hang out with this group and act one way, but at church I'm going to act the other way. Why? Because the spiritual is separated from the physical. Like it's all good with one thing, but it's not all good with the other. We're picking and choosing what we believe in. We're picking and choosing what we support. It's not biblical, but I'm going to support it. But at the same time, I'm going to worship God. That's a dualism that we're facing. And what John is going to go in, there's going to be two things in the book of 1 John that's going to confront us. Number one is that Jesus was 100% man, 100% God, period. And John's going to address that. But number two, he's going to talk a lot about what believers in Christ are supposed to be like. The fruit that we show, like what Stephen talked about, there's a light in us that pushes back the darkness. We're supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to have joy. We're supposed to love people. We're supposed to accept everybody, but we're also supposed to share the gospel, and we're supposed to honor a holy and righteous God, and we're supposed to love his word. And that's something that we learned. You cannot love Jesus but hate his word. If you're going to exalt the name of Christ, you've got to love the word of God. And if you don't do that, then you're, you're, you're pretty much in the same dualism in life. You're no better than these Gnostics. So let's go ahead and just jump right into it. What is John talking about? Let's go ahead and look at verse 1. We're just going to look at four verses. And, uh, and there's going to be some things that we move quickly on, but there's some things that we're going to camp out in. There's a lot in 1 John, you guys. I mean, we could just spend the first hour on verse 1, but then y'all would never come back. So <laughs> let's go. So what, what John is immediately going to do right off of the blocks is that he's going to present the historical reality that Jesus came as a human being. And then he's also going to, Throw out the certainty of the gospel. So look at what verse 1 says. That which was from the beginning, we, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. All right, we got to walk through this thing. So look how John starts his epistles in verse 1. That which was from the beginning. Why would he start something? What is that witch? Why can't he just call it out? What does that even mean? So when we look at that word, that witch is, which would actually translate into he who. That would be a better translation. He who was from the beginning. So what are you talking about the beginning? So he's talking about the beginning of the world, the beginning of mankind. He's pointing at the eternity past, the, the um, existence of Christ. In the beginning, you go to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Jesus always existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So when God first called the earth to become formed, Jesus was there. <coughs> so think about everything Old Testament. When God flooded the world, Jesus was there. When the walls of Jericho fell down, Jesus was there. When everybody left, when Exodus happened, Jesus was there. And what a lot of people do, they separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit into compartments, which is not true. They're all together in communion as one, and they've always existed. We see this in Colossians chapter 1, and we'll read that here in a second. But John is immediately calling that he who was from the very beginning of time, Christ, which we have heard. Now, what, look what he's going to do. He's going to bring in the senses. He's going to bring in, he's going he's to say, like, we didn't just read about him. We didn't, like, hear, like, so, it, this isn't a rumor. No, no, no. Like, we actually got to experience Christ. So look what the words he uses in verse 1, which we have heard, we have seen out with our very own eyes, and we have looked at and our hands have touched. Man, I wish I could go through all that, but what's interesting is if you do a word say, that word touched in, Greece, in Greek actually means grasp. It's like an, uh, a blind man um, that's trying to figure out what he's grabbing or what he's touching, trying to guide him. This, is, this isn't just like I got to like give him a high five. No, like they actually got to embrace Christ. In the upper room, like in the Lord's Supper, John actually leaned back on his chest. Like they were very close together. Remember um, when Jesus appeared and Philip is like, Lord, if it's you, let me, let me touch your hands. Let me touch your scars. And Jesus is like, Let's, come on. See, so, so they were, they were, there was something physical there. They, they handled Christ. And why is John telling everybody right off the back that this from heaven, from the very beginning came down and we heard him, we saw him, we grasped him, we touched him? Because you can't do those things with a spirit. It has to be in human form. You can't touch a spirit. You can't, great, like, you can't look at a spirit for a long, long time. He actually got to hang out. It was etched in John's mind for the very beginning. And listen, John wrote the book of 1 John 60 years after he hung out with Jesus. 60 years later, it is still etched in his mind, his Savior, the times he hung out with him. And I want to ask you guys, do you still remember the first time you experienced Christ? Do you remember, is it etched in your soul? Is it etched in your mind when you first had an encounter with Jesus? I know mine is. I remember when I encountered Christ, it changed everything for me. And that was in 2003. That's when I, like, last remember. I remember getting on that bus, and I was like, man, it's done. It's over. Everything that I was a part of, it is, my life has changed. And I didn't negotiate. I didn't, I didn't like, try to, like, well, I could still hang. No, it, it was done. I remember that God changed my life so drastically. It is etched in my soul to the point that I can't stop talking about it. Because here's the, here's the truth. We're going to see this in verse 2. You can't testify to something you haven't experienced. So the experience that I had with Christ was so strong 
that, man, I'm just going to testify. But you know what also what John talks about from the very beginning, what that stands for? John is talking about the stability of the gospel. From the very beginning of time, this was God's plan. This was always plan A. Sin never took God by surprise. He wasn't like, oh, no, Adam and Eve jacked it up. What am I going to do? No. God always knew what was going to happen. He, he always knew how to fix this. The gospel was, very, was stable from the beginning of time. Why is this important for us to know? Because of what the Gnostics because of what the Gnostics believed. So because it was from the beginning of time, that means it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what philosophies come in the picture, it doesn't matter what policy changes, the gospel will never shift. The the gospel is the gospel from the beginning of time to the end of time, and society and culture will never change it. But you see, the Gnostics believed that there was this inclusivity with the things that people believed. I think there's like a police car going off, so nice. And then let's, let's finish verse 1. And then it says, this we proclaim concerning word of life. What is word of life? So we got to look, word, the Greek word is logos, or logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's the same word that John used in John chapter 1, where he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word is God. And then he talks about in verse 14 how the word came, and it kind of moved in. It walked amongst us. So John is pretty much saying the word of life is God in the flesh. It is Jesus Christ. A lot of churches say word of life as you speak it and it becomes life. That's false. That is the wrong teaching. It's not speak it into existence. No, you're not God. Only God could do that. The word of life is God. And remember, the word is capitalized here. Word, that means that it's a pronoun that's the name so he's talking about God he's talking about Jesus incarnated from the very beginning he came down we got to hear from him we got to see him with our very own eyes we got to touch him with our hands and then because of that we proclaim concerning Christ proclaim means um, that you you're exalting that they use that same word proclaim as preaching that means that you're able to say something with confidence So it's not like a maybe, sort of, depending. No, it's real. You say it with confidence. All right, we got to move on. Look at verse, uh, chapter, I mean, verse 2. Now now, now John throws that out there, and in verse 2, the life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So that life appeared. So John is really pushing that Jesus came down. He didn't just experience it. I mean, they didn't just see it. They also experienced Christ in the flesh. Life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. I want us to look at, if you have a Colossians chapter 1, Because I know some people have that kind of a hard concept with that whole, like, man, Jesus was always existing. Like, we got to understand something. Christ was always, there was always communion with God the Father. There was always the Trinity. So Colossians chapter 1, 
verses 15. I'm just going to read verses 15 through 19. And this is what the Word of God says. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from all, among the dead, so that everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, Jesus was always, he always existed. Everything was created, not just by him, not just to him, but also through him. And then he didn't just create everything, but he also sustains everything. And John is trying to get these folks to understand, like this Christ, this God, he's not just spiritual, but he also came down as 100% man and 100% human. Why is that important? Because if Jesus doesn't come down and live a sinless life, then his sacrifice on the cross is voided. He had to be perfect. There had to be a perfect, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world had to be um, blameless. And in verse 2, we have seen it and testified to it. Why can I testify to something? Because I experienced something. When you go to a court of law and lawyers call witnesses to the front, they don't call witnesses who might have heard something. They don't call witnesses who might have seen something. They call witnesses who actually saw and are able to testify. And if they have not testified, or, and if they're lying, they're going to be discovered. They're going to get called out because their testimony doesn't fit what they saw. So you testify to something that you experience, and then we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. You know, he's, here he's talking about his deity. The eternity past, Jesus always has existed. He was with the Father. He left heaven. We didn't just get to see him and hear him and touch him. We also got to experience him. We saw his healings. We saw what he did. We saw how he changed our lives. And because of that, we proclaim to you eternal life. Jesus is not just Logos, and he's not just the word of God, but he is the reason why you and I could have eternal life, because he reconciled us back to a holy and righteous God. He is the only way for us to get to God. That's what Christ came to do, and he has appeared to us. Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you that what we have heard and seen, so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son Jesus Christ man I love this verse right here so we proclaim this to you we say this with confidence to you and what I want us to understand too is God didn't make us because he was lonely 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it, they've always existed and they've always been in fellowship with each other and they've always been in communion with one another. This word fellowship um, translates to kononia, which a lot of us kind of have seen that word before. There's a lot of churches named kononia as well. The word kononia goes beyond social relationships. So I know we throw that, that's a kind of a churchy word, fellowship, right? Like, hey, let's get together, let's fellowship together. The fellowship hall. Hey, we're having a guy's fellowship, which just means hanging out. Um, really not the term. It's just hanging out. You see, the term kononia is deeper than social relationships. The word kononia means that there is a partnership that is taking place between two parties, and it's equal. You know, sometimes you, like, see a couple that's dating. I'm not trying to call nobody out, but we have friends, and you're like, you know what? It's more like her than him. You ever seen that? Like, she's trying so hard, and he's like, I don't know. And then they, like, talk, like, yeah, I love her. I'm like, ah, what's more her than you, bro? Like, that's not, that's not kononia, right? That's you getting played. Anyway, no, but that's not, kononia is that there's, <laughs> kononia means that, the, that both parties are in it together. And there is a partnership that's happening. There is an enjoyment that's happening. And they're both bringing the same weight of relationship to the table. That's what kononia means. And what they're saying is that we have fellowship with us because God, the Father, has fellowship with the Son. So they have kononia together. So they are one together in relationship. Both parties see it the same route. And then because they do, so do we as believers. It's a beautiful thing. You ever like see somebody that, that's also a follower of Christ? And you like go to a restaurant and maybe they might have a t-shirt on or you might have run into them. You don't know who they are, but you're like, hey, man, like, I think I saw you at that, con like, man, what's your story? And then it's like you chop it up and it's like you just become good friends. Why? Because the foundation is the kononia. It's, it's the fellowship. Because he has fellowship with Christ. I have fellowship with Christ. Now we have that fellowship with each other. And it's, that's, that's my brother and sister in Christ. You know, actually, the story of City Post kind of falls into that a little bit. When I meant to go meet Randy Miller, we were just going to talk about Blue Zones. They wanted us to use their parking lot of the church for some school to do a walking school bus. I went to go talk to Randy. We talked about Blue Zones for five minutes. And he's like, hey, man, what's your story? And then next thing you know, for the next hour, we're talking about testimonies and our ministry. And I'm sharing him like what God has put on my heart. And he's sharing what God put on their heart. And it's like, it's like we've known each other for years and years. Why? Because we have fellowship with the Son. You see, we could do that. We could go to anywhere, any part of the world. And you could get to know a believer. And it's like you guys just have known each other for years. It's incredible. Why? Because of fellowship. It's that kononia. Christ the, Christ the Son was always in fellowship with Christ the Father and the Holy Spirit. And because of that fellowship, because of that kononia, now you and I could have the same thing with each other, which is an incredible thing. And that's why we always talk about our relationships, why we should always link up with believers, especially when it comes to marriage. 
Because the Bible says, what does light have to do with darkness? They're not going to have that same thing. So it's like when you come together, God puts it together, and it's a beautiful thing. And then we end with verse 4. It says, we write this to make our joy complete. So all this that I'm writing to you guys, everything that I'm proclaiming to you guys about Christ, about how he's 100% man and he's 100% God, and then I walked with him, I experienced him, I could testify to it, is so that way you could experience the same exact joy that I have in my life. You know, one of the biggest characteristics of God that I think we miss out is joy. There's a joy that happens when you become, get in fellowship with Christ Joy should be something that describes a believer. We should always be in joy, even when things are difficult and even when things are not going the way that we want them to go. There's something about us inside that, that there's a joy that spews out. Like, man, what's wrong with you? Man, I don't, I'm, just, I'm just living. This is Christ in me. That's what's wrong with me. That joy that gets in us. So John, 1 John, he kicks this thing off, this, this epistle off, pretty strong. He tacks it pretty hard to the Gnostics who are believing like, no, there's no way Jesus could be 100% man and 100% God. Man, you know, maybe God, but not man. There's no way that exists. And John's like, oh, yeah, well, you're wrong because I experienced him. I walked with him. I heard from him. I talked with him. And now I, I could testify to you. So I just want to give us a couple of observations from the text that I want us to take home because I think that there's some things that we could learn from John and what he's given to us that we don't really think about. So number one is if you lack joy, that means you lack fellowship. If you lack joy, you lack fellowship. Fellowship with who? The son, the father. If life for you is depressing, if life for you is like melancholy, if life for you is just like pessimistic, like everything just smells bad, I need to question how much time are you spending with the Father? Like what does your prayer life look like? Like how often do you read his word? And I promise you the answers that I'm going to get are a little bit sometimes maybe. I'm too busy being upset and depressed and, and, and looking for videos to make me feel better instead of just spending time with God's word. When you have fellowship with the Father, when you read in his word, when you spend time in worship, when you pray, when you spend time with other believers that experience the same kononia as you, things are going to start shifting in your life. And you're not going to be as down and depressed and anxious and sad as you think. Why? Because a lot of us base our lives on if we're happy or not, which is very dangerous. The thing is, optimism and cheerfulness that comes from happiness is very circumstance-based. So if everything is going my way, if I got the job I want, if, I, if I'm dating the person I want, like if I could check off the boxes of the things that I put on my vision board, then I'm going to be happy. Like, yes, this is the way it works. 
But then what happens when tragedy hits? What happens when sickness hits? What happens when things don't go your way? What happens when relationships break and people stab you in the back? Your happiness goes away. But optimism and cheerfulness that bring joy are out of God, not your circumstances. Because God is faithful regardless of your circumstances. And if I find my kononia in Christ, if I find in him, then I know when something is not working, when something's going wrong, I know that I could go to my brothers and sisters in Christ and they will help me with that. And they will encourage me and they will lift me up. But I also know that God is all sovereign and he's in control of all things. And I know that he is at work and I need to trust him. That's hard. That's really hard. But that's how we work. That's how we do it. That should always be our objective. So if you lack joy, I want to encourage you this way. Look at your fellowship with Christ. Turn to him. What does your relationship with the Lord look like? What does your kononia with God look like? And then your, your other friends that are believers. You know, something that Ralph said um, a while back, he's like, you know, if you, don't, if you don't change your friends, you need to change your friends. <laughs> Period. So there's people in your life that are not exalting you and encouraging you in Christ and you can't change them, then it's time to change them. And if you're worried about being lonely, and if you're worried about, wow, Rick, we've been friends since high school. Like, we, we were supposed to get married together. We're supposed to be at each other's weddings. And, and it's like, man, just trust God. He's going to replace that, not just with friends, but with family. And that's so much stronger. All right, number two, we got to go. Number two is kind of what we just talked about. You cannot testify what you have not experienced. You cannot testify with what you have not experienced yet. You know, I'm starting to believe more and more the reason why people do not share the gospel, the reason why people are not sharing their faith, the reason why people are not being light, kind of what Stephen talked about, it's not because we're introverted. It's not because we're shy. It's not because we're scared of people making fun of us or rejection. It's not because we don't know enough theology. I am starting to believe the reason why we are not sharing our faith in the gospel is because we can't testify to anything. You haven't experienced what Christ has done. Like, have you seen Jesus change the hearts of people? Have you seen him heal people? Have you, have you seen him transform? Have you experienced the Holy Spirit in your life? And many of us have not. Because we're so busy living in a box of religion and church until you start walking outside in faith and doing stuff that is scary, that's going to cause you to rely on God. You're not going to experience the power of God. And because you don't experience the power of God, you have nothing to say. Your, your testimony is church is awesome. Guys, that is not enough. There's so many things that are awesome. Concerts are awesome. Football games are awesome. But when you experience it for yourself, it's going to change the way that you speak, and it's going to change the way you approach people, and it's going to change the way you view life. 
And we've become theologians in our words, but practicing atheists in our actions. And if we truly believe his word, we're going to obey it. First John chapter 2, he calls us out. When I say us, I mean me too. He calls us out. He says, if, you're gonna, if you walk in Christ, if you say you walk with Christ, then you better do what he says. It's about obedience. So that's kind of a challenge to us. It's like, man, do we really believe this? Have we experienced the power of God in our lives? And are we sharing? Are we testifying to what he's done in our lives? And if you can't say yes, then let me encourage you. You need some stronger kononia with the Father. Get in his word. Do things in faith that scare us. And you're going to see God move. You know, it's funny, like when you share your faith with people, it is a little scary sometimes. You talk to people about Christ. You talk to people about the church. It's a little nerve-wracking. But you know what happens afterward? You're like, man, that was pretty awesome. There's like a joy that bubbles up in you. There's like this like shot of adrenaline that hits. It's that Holy Spirit. When you do things that are worrisome and scared. So number one, if you lack joy, maybe you lack fellowship. Number two, you can't testify to what you have seen, that what you have not experienced. I get that from verse 2. We've seen it. We've testified to it. So I proclaim it to you. And then the last one, and we'll end with this. You can't get right with God if you're wrong about Jesus. You can't be right with God if you're wrong about Christ. Why? Because both of them go together. The Gnostics learned this the hard way. Because what's happening is when you study history, they're walking around with a false sense of salvation. So they're claiming, yeah, God is, Jesus is God, but there's no way he could have walked this earth. There's no way he could have been crucified. So I'm enlightened, you're wrong and I'm right, and they're walking around with God's wrath and judgment over their heads because they got Jesus wrong. You know, we were, when Steve was talking about um, the funeral on Friday, one thing I, I noticed that kind of impacted me was as the family came to the casket, kind of for the last goodbye, you know, I'm sitting at the front because uh, we led the service, and people are putting things in the casket. So family are coming, they're putting like pictures, they're putting like bandanas, they're putting, but I've seen a couple of people put like beads and all these other things, and I've seen, I saw them like pray, and, but you know what, what really kind of took me back a little bit? It wasn't sadness that I saw. It was this look of hopelessness. Like, I don't know I'm going to see this guy again. So I'm just going to kind of go through the motions. And there was like a, 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 a look of hopelessness in their faces. And my heart just really went out. I was like, Lord, like, I pray, come on, like, I pray that people know you. And I could see people were praying. It was like they were, they were searching for God. Like they, they were looking for peace in the moment of tragedy. But their faces were just blank and hopeless. And I was like, man, you can't get right with God because you don't know Jesus. 
So you could do all of these things. You could do all of these requirements that you think are going to help you, but they're all going to come up bankrupt and empty at the end because Jesus is the only one that could fulfill you. And I started thinking, like, what do others say about Christ, other belief systems? So, like, the Jewish folks, they believe Jesus was Mary's son. They believe he was a great rabbi. He was revered and respected. He was a prophet. He was a wise teacher who worked miracles. He ascended to heaven, and they do believe he will come again. But do they believe that he's Lord? Do they believe that he has the power to forgive sins? No. Muslims believe Jesus was born of a virgin. They revered, they respect Jesus. They think he was a prophet, a wise teacher who worked miracles. He ascended to heaven. He will come again, but do they believe that he truly is God? No. Hindus believe Jesus was a holy man, a wise teacher, and a God little g. Kind of throw him in with the other 30 million gods. But do they believe that he's it? Nope. Buddhists believe Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. Do they believe he's truly God? Absolutely not. New Age spiritualists believe and maintain Jesus as a wise and moral teacher that did nice things for people. Do they believe he's God? Absolutely not. Then I got to throw this one out there. When we look at Roman Catholicism, yes, they believe Jesus is Lord. Yes, they believe he was born of a virgin. But is Jesus truly God? Is he the only way to heaven? And they say yes and. Yes, it's faith and works. Yes, it's Jesus and the saints and all these other people. And yes, it's grace and sacraments. That's false. It's only through faith alone, through Christ alone, and through grace alone that we have a relationship with the Father. And anything added to that is a false religion. It's a false God. You got to call this stuff out. And like John is calling out. And I'll end with this. Um, so like there's this show that I love watching called Martin. Anybody else watch Martin? Like Martin, right? In the 90s, Martin, he was a comedian ahead of his time. And on his show, he would always have these characters. Like I love like, you know, Jerome and like just like, little man, all this stuff. But one of my favorite characters, if y'all could help me out here, was a guy named Bro Man. Remember? Bro Man would walk in. He's like, my name is Bro Man from the... All right, y'all saw it too. All right, so... Bro Man from the fifth floor. So he would always come into the apartment just unannounced. He would show up. It was the same thing for every sketch. He's like... Like, bro, man, what you doing? He's like, who are you? My name is bro, man, from the fifth floor. And then he would say, what you doing, bro, man? Nothing. Chilling. And then he would always go and take something. Right. <laughs> Sandwiches. So in this episode, he'd go, he'd grab the loaf of bread, and he would just, like, walk out there with his little tight shirt on. And Martin's like, hold on, bro, man, what you doing? I'm taking this bread. Bro, man, that's my bread. What are you taking my bread for? Trying to make me some wish sandwiches. What are wish sandwiches? Wish I had some meat to go in between this bread. I was, I'll never forget. I was like, yes, yeah, wonderful. 
That's great. But I do want to say, listen, without Jesus, you just have a bunch of wish sandwiches. I wish I had peace to go with this religion. I wish I had peace to go with this sac- these sacraments. I wish I had peace to go with my family. I wish I had forgiveness. I wish I had joy. I wish fill in the blank. And listen, if you don't believe that Christ is 100% God and 100% man, if you don't believe that he is Lord of all, if you don't believe that he's the only one that could give you the forgiveness of sins, if you don't believe that it is faith alone, Christ alone, through grace alone, then you're eating a bunch of wish sandwiches. And it's leaving you hungry. And it's leaving you unfulfilled. Because you wish you had something more. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, listen, it's a great day to put your faith in Christ, to walk with him, to surrender to him, so that way you're able to testify to what he's done in your life, so that way others will see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. That's the only way it's going to work. Let's pray for us and we'll have a, a time of worship. Father, we love you. God, we thank you so much because you are a good God. You're a faithful God. And Lord, there's so much in our lives that that we might have issues with. There's so much that we might not understand. But Lord, I just pray that your word penetrate that. God, we love your word, Father. And we're thankful for books like 1 John that teach us about who you are, the reality of Jesus, how you walked and you talked, and we were able to see you, Father. This isn't a fluke. This is real. So, Lord, for all of those who are wishing, Father, that they had something that was more fulfilling and that that was more than sacraments and that was more than just religious experiences, Father, Lord, you are the bread that that we will no longer hunger. You are the water that we will no longer thirst. And I pray that people find you and turn their lives over to you. So, Jesus, we pray all these things in your holy and righteous name. Amen. Let's worship together.